So we have been talking about discipleship. For those of you who've been here, this is a continuation. If you're here for the first time this morning, I want to just encourage you that God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. You weren't just randomly created just to kind of figure out what you're supposed to do or even just make decisions without any sense of divine purpose. God created you for a specific purpose. And that's an amazing thing when you think about it. We all, we have each unique fingerprints. Our DNA is unique. And more than that, we are unique. We are God's divine design. We can live our lives either by default, doing the same old thing every week, every day, or we can live by design. Living by design means there's a process of discovery. What's my purpose? What's my reason for being here on this planet? You know, what on earth am I here for? Some people think that Christianity is all about just when you die, you go to heaven, and, you know, that's kind of it. It's like the ultimate um, fire insurance so that you don't have to worry about eternal judgment. And that's part of the gospel, obviously, but the truth is, is God has a purpose for your life here and now. And there's so many scriptures that talk about that in the New Testament. You know, you are unique. You're unique. That's you. You're different than anyone else. And the Bible says in Psalm 139, 14, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearfully means basically something to stand in awe of. And the word wonderfully means to be extraordinary. So you are, in other words, you're awesome and you're extraordinary. Come on now, just turn to your neighbor and say, you're awesome and you're extraordinary. I dare you to do that this morning, okay? <laughs> so you are. And you're like, well, hey, what's so awesome about me or whatever? And then we got some people that they, they think they really are awesome, right? But we, we know that. But the bottom line is God says we are awesome. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says we are God's workmanship. We are created for a specific and distinctive purpose in Christ. So maybe you don't feel like you're, you know, a divine work. But the Bible says we are his workmanship. Some translations say we are his masterpiece. The reason why is because the word that is used here literally means we're his poetry. We're his work of art. We are his creation. God is creative. For those of you who are more right brain, more creative. You know, you get that from God because God is the ultimate artist. God is the ultimate creator is, is what the Bible says. You are custom designed. You're tailor made by his hand. And what I love about the truth of the gospel is when the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave or he sent his only begotten son into the world, that whosoever believes in him would not die, would not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't send his son just to forgive you, even though that's important. That's the beginning of it. He didn't send his son just to spare us from judgment, even though that's important. He didn't even send his son just so we would know how much we're loved, even though that's important and that's part of the gospel. But he sent Jesus to literally recreate us. The Bible is clear that Jesus what came into the world to recreate us. In Ephesians 4.24, it talks about how we are recreated in Christ. We become a new work. We become that, that piece of artwork. Like, you know, when you see 
that potter and you see that lump of clay and, and what that lump of clay looks like before the artist, the potter's hand is applied to it to begin to shape it and then ultimately to, to cure it and, and to prepare it for the kiln so, and to paint it so that it becomes a work of art. That's who you are. You're beautiful. You're valuable. You are the expression, the expression of the very inner being of the divine artist, God himself. Think about that. You are the expression. I said last night, God, he doesn't make any junk. It's true. We are all his workmanship, and he died so that we could know who we were created to be, our original intention. We are recreated in Christ to be something beautiful, something splendid, magnificent. God is the artist. You're the art. God is the painter. You're the canvas. God is the sculptor, and you are the marble. And you might not look like much right now. You might think, man, I'm just a piece of rock sitting in a quarry somewhere. But ultimately, that's who God says you are in his word. That's who he says you are. That's who you were created and to be, a work of art, his masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I want to just look at this in the Amplified. This is a powerful verse that talks about how God has for us an ID. What do I mean by ID? Well, as I said earlier, your uh, DNA is really your unique ID. Your fingerprints are your unique ID. But ultimately, with God, your ID is this, your identity and your destiny. God has an identity for you, and he has a destiny for you. He wants you to know who you are and what it is he's created you to do. So it's an amazing thing. And when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how we are his workmanship. We are his creation. And God literally created us to do certain things in advance. So from the very beginning, he's planned the pathway that we're to walk. He's planned out our purpose in life. It says in Psalm 139 that every day of our lives, it says that God literally foreordained them or he wrote them out in advance. He knew exactly what would happen. And that doesn't mean to say that he approves of the decisions we make. We, make, we have a free will. We can make our own decisions. We can do what we want. But God says, I have a plan. I have a pathway. I have a chartered course for your life. And if you will allow me to recreate you, and if you will allow me to continue to work in your life, you will discover your divine destiny, and you will be able to live out your divine destiny. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to the end of my life and realize that I missed the mark. You know what I'm saying? I was shooting at the wrong target. And as a result of that, you know, I, you can accumulate things in life. You can, you can do many, many successful things. But at the end of it all, there's no sense of significance. Have I really lived out my purpose? Have I really fulfilled my destiny? Why am I here? Who am I? And people ask that question today, and, and, and people are confused today now more than ever. Who am I? What is it that I, I was created for? What's my purpose in life? And there are at least four common traps that people fall into when it has to do with our purpose or our destiny in life. The first one is comparison. We compare ourselves to other people. We want to be like that person. 
You know, we want to be, if only I could be like her. If only I could be like him. If only, you know, I wasn't like this, if I was more like that. But you got to understand, God created you the way you are. God is unique in his creation, and he's created you to be unique. Secondly, projection. Projection has to do with we want others to be like us. You know, if only people weren't like that, only if they understood me and they were more like me. And you know what? That's not the way it works. God has created every one of us to be different. But there's a purpose and there's a reason for it all. Thirdly, there's rejection. People reject their true identity. They reject their true identity. Who are they? What is it that they've been created to do? And they reject that. And then fourthly, deception. Thinking you have gifts, for example, that you really don't have. You know? Have you ever met somebody like that? Like somebody that wants to be on the worship team but they can't sing in key? Right? You know? Somebody who, who wants to, to do artwork, but they're challenged that way. You know, I'm not saying we can't improve, but ultimately we have certain gifts, and then some of us lack in certain areas. Man, I can't draw a stick man. I mean, I, I just don't have any gifting when it comes to artwork. I'm very linear, I'm very logical, I'm very sequential, but I can't, I'm not very creative when it comes to that type of thing. And you know what? I'm good with that. Because I realize that's not my purpose. That's not who I am. There's things that I'd like to do. Have you ever met somebody who just kind of is so talented? And maybe you're good at something, but then you meet someone who is just so talented at it, and you wonder, like, how is it? Like, they don't even seem to, to work that hard, and, and yet they're so good at it. Might be playing a keyboard or a guitar or something, and you're just kind of blown out of the water because of how gifted they are. Well, guess what? God created them that way. Some of us can do many things. Some of us can do few things. God created each and every one of us in that unique way. It's an amazing thing when we think about it. But here's what I want you to understand, okay? And I say this unabashedly this morning. Your purpose in life, your identity will never be realized until you are recreated in Christ Jesus. You understand why? Because it goes back to the beginning. In the very beginning, God created the first man and woman. They were awesome. They were fearfully and wonderfully made. And God stood in awe of them. He said, it's good. It's really good. But then sin entered the world. They succumbed to the temptation. And the Bible says at that point that they fell short of God's glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says that every person God created for his glory. But then it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's that mean? It means the artwork was marred. It means the masterpiece was broken. It means that what God originally intended needed repaired. And so the Bible says that when we come to Christ, we become a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. What does that mean? A new creation. The Greek word is an interesting term in the New Testament. It's the Greek word kahinos. And kahinos means this, unprecedented, something never seen before. I use the following illustration. There's a great man of God who was once asked this question. Can God unscramble scrambled eggs? 
right? It's kind of like, can God make it a, a rock so big that even he can't move it, right? Okay. So can God unscramble scrambled eggs? And the man of God answered and said, God does not need to unscramble scrambled eggs. God will give you a new egg. And the whole point is when we become a new creation in God, that's exactly what we are. We're not like an upgrade. We're not like a polished version of who we were. But we are absolutely a new creation. We're something that has not yet been seen. We're something completely new. The old things have passed away. Not the old things have been upgraded. Not the old things have been made to look a, a little bit nicer or been glossed over. But the old is gone. It's in, it's in the trash. It's gone. And everything becomes new in Christ Jesus. He gives us a new heart, the Bible says. He gives us a new mind. He gives us a desire to do the right thing. And some people say, well, you know what? How am I going to change my desires? I remember when I was first contemplating giving my life back to Jesus Christ after I had gone astray and, and been in rebellion, I came to a point in my life where I said, I need to count the cost here. Am I really ready to repent of my sins? Because I was the type of person, I didn't like fake people. I don't like fake people. I don't like hypocrites. I don't like people that say they're one thing, but then in reality, that's not who they are. And so I said, I'm not going to be one of those people. If I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going all in. I'm going to give my life completely to God, or I'm not going to do it at all. So I had to think about it. What is it going to take for me to really give my heart to the Lord? What is he going to require of me? What am I going to have to change? And there were some things that I thought about, and to be very honest, I was struggling. Do I have to really give that up? Yeah, I know I do. Do I have to really turn from that? Yeah, I know I do. And so I struggled. There was this battle internally. Do I really give it all to God, or do I Stay back because I love the pleasures of this life. I love the things of this world more than what God could give me. I finally came to the point where I realized what it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? What's a profit? You stand before God. I stand before God on judgment day. And guys, he says, hey, man, I didn't know who you were. I don't know you. Who are you? Your name's not written in my book. And I realized that I didn't want to see that happen in my life. If I'm going to follow God, I'm going to do it with my whole heart. And so I made that decision. And I'll, here's what I discovered. When I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ fully, I discovered that God never calls us to sacrifice anything. What he calls us to is to give up something for something even better. What he calls us to is to lay down one thing for something that's even better. And it says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, God works in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Listen, this isn't about you trying to change things so that your, your desires change by your own effort or volition. God says, if you come to my son, Jesus Christ, and you embrace the truth of the gospel, you repent, you say, Lord, I give it all to you. 
and, and I lay down my ways. God promises that by his Holy Spirit, he's going to change your affections. He's going to change your desires so that some of the things you used to hate, you begin to love, and some of the things that you used to love, you start hating. He changes you. Listen, this isn't an easy thing. It cost him everything. He suffered. He died. He was beaten. Not so that we can just put up our hand and say a nice little prayer and then carry on like the, the same way that we always been, guys. That's not the truth. That's not the gospel. The Bible says we've got to repent. We've got to change. But understand this. It's not something we do in our own strength. It's something that he gives us the power to do. How do I do it? You allow him to fill you with his spirit. You allow him to begin to work in you. As you abide in him, as you, start, you go to church, you, you read the words, you pray, and you just begin to allow the Holy Spirit. You start to think, man, I'm starting to change. I'm thinking differently. My affections, my desires are changing. That's because you've been born again. Because it's not this fake thing, man, where people go to church on a weekend, but they have absolutely no knowledge of who God is. They're just the same. They're just showing up at church, but they've not had an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. It's not about church. Yeah, church is a place where we go, we get taught, we get instructed, we worship together, we have fellowship. We need that. But ultimately, it's not about going to church. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who will transform us, who will change us and recreate us in his image and likeness. There's a process that God calls us to embark on. And that process is once we believe the gospel, once we really repent and we surrender our lives to him, he says, okay, now I want you to follow me. Believe in me, that's the entry way into the kingdom. Believe in me, that's the way of salvation, but now follow me. Continue to follow me. Become a disciple, in other words. Become a disciple. And guess what the Bible says? Jesus said to those who believed in him in John chapter 8, verse 30, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So discipleship isn't imposing restrictions upon your life. It's absolutely opening up and broadening the highway, so to speak, so you can run in more lanes and you can understand the freedom that God has available to you. Jesus came to give us liberty, to give us freedom. I'm free. And guess what? He trusts me enough to make the right decisions. That's amazing. And he's given us a free will. We can make the right decisions. But he says, hey, when you're in me, I'll begin to work in you. I'll begin to change your heart. I'll begin to put in you the heart of what it means to be my son, my daughter. So he says, follow me. In Ephesians 4.12, we're told that God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And it tells us this, that the purpose is to equip God's people to do his work, and build up the church, the body of Christ. So what does that mean? It says this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, this process called equipping is to bring us to a place where we become mature and we become like Jesus and we have unity in our faith. Does that make sense? That's what it's all about. So it's a process. So think of it this way. A piece, a work of art. It's a masterpiece, but it's 
at one point was a work in progress. So this is how our lives are. We are masterpieces, but ultimately we have to recognize that we are a work in progress. God is doing something in us to conform us to his very nature, to conform us to his original intention or divine design for our lives. The word translated equipped here is translated in Luke 6:40 perfectly trained that every student will be who is not above their teacher but once they've really come to the to submit themselves to their teacher to their mentor what happens if they continue to be taught and mentored by that person they will become perfectly trained doesn't matter who it is it could be a virtuoso a dojo someone who's going to train you, right? I, I have a saying, guys, and, and I tell you, it's true, man. The school of hard knocks is, is overrated. Find a mentor. If you want to learn something in life, find a mentor. The school of hard knocks is way overrated. You can learn so much more. So that's why we need one another. That's why we need to connect with people that can help us grow spiritually. That's why we need to come to church, man, because God wants us to grow. He wants us to change, and he wants us to recognize that there's this process that he equips us, and he can even fast-track us when we get around the right people. There's an, an anointing. There's a gifting that other people have that will kind of spur you on and, and add that additional boost that you need to be able to grow even more quickly. I've seen people change more in six months as they sit under the anointing that I've seen them in five years struggle, trying to do it on their own, not connected to the, to the house of God, not connected to good godly leaders, not connected to Jesus through their word and prayer. They struggle, they struggle, they struggle. Then in six months, they get into, that pres into the presence of the Lord. They get into a place of discipleship, and they change more quickly in six months than in five years. It's an amazing thing. Listen, it's a process. The word perfectly trained, the word that is translated equipped is a very interesting term. It literally speaks of several things. First of all, it's used of turning chaos into cosmos. In other words, chaos, something that is chaotic and disorderly, turn it into what is orderly, cosmos. It's an amazing thing. When God spoke in the very beginning, and, and cosmos, uh, the, the, the created world that was at that time not fully formed yet, God ended up turning it into order. To bring what is lacking to completion, a bringing of equipping someone, training someone so that they end up living a life pleasing to God and doing his perfect will. It can also be used of repairing what is broken, like, for example, um, a, bo a broken bone. If you break your bone, the word that is used here can mean to fuse and to heal a broken bone. And then there's another example, an example that I like to look at briefly this morning. This definition of the Greek word that is translated equipping or perfectly trained, that particular definition means this, to mend what is torn or broken. And we find this scripture in Matthew 4, 21. Jesus is walking along the seashore, and he finds these two brothers, James and John, the son of Zebedee. They are commercial fishermen. That's their, their job. And 
They had just gone out fishing. They had just returned. And as a result, now here they are. They're sitting on the seashore mending their torn fishing nets. That's the same word. So the point I'm trying to make here is and God, when Jesus sees them mending it, he says to them, come and follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He said, I will send you out to fish for people. And the Bible says in Matthew 4, 19 and 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. At once they left their nets and followed him. So come and follow me. And you guys know how to fish in the natural. But now I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to cause you to do this in the spirit. You'll fish for men. You'll fish for souls, in other words. So what did they do? They left everything. They left their jobs they left everything they had, and for over three years, they followed Jesus everywhere he went. He trained them. He taught them. He mentored them. He equipped them, and he made them ready to continue the very ministry that he had started. So the process is like taking a torn fishing net. Why would you repair a torn fishing net? What would be the reason for doing that? Why wouldn't you just say, oh, that net's no good, throw it out? Because what? You have a sense that that net has value to it. It doesn't need to be thrown out. It, it needs a little bit of repairing. It needs some, some, some mending, but it's still good, and we can use it again. It can be used again. And why would you use that net? Because you want to catch fish. You know, the idea of God doing a work in us is kind of like that. In fact, it's interesting in the New Testament, there's two fishing miracles, like fishing miracles where the disciples who were professional commercial fishermen are out fishing, right? All night long, they're out fishing, and then they catch nothing. So what happens in Luke chapter 5 is Jesus says to them, hey, guys, launch out into the deep and drop your nets. And so what takes place is they drop their nets reluctantly. Peter is a professional fisherman. Jesus, by trade, was a carpenter. And it's like, Lord, you know what? We've been fishing all night. Nothing. No results. Nada. And what happens? But because you ask us to, because you say so, we'll give it one more shot. We'll let down our nets, and then guess what takes place? Man, there is so many fish. They catch so many fish. The Bible tells us here in Luke chapter 5, verse number 6, that there's a large number of fish, and their nets began to break. Let's watch that closely. Their nets began to break. Somebody says, the devil is in the details. How many of you know that's a lie? God is in the details. I want you to see this this morning. So after three-plus years of following Jesus, at the end of his ministry. Jesus has died. He's been raised to life, and he's went back and to the right hand of the Father, but he comes back to earth, and for 40 days, he manifests himself to various people on the earth during this 40-day period. And one time, these same disciples, three-plus years later, deja vu, they are actually fishing again. And it's all of a sudden, while they're fishing again, in John 21, they hear a voice calling to them from the seashore. Hey, guys, any fish? And they're like, no, nothing. They don't know who it is, but it's Jesus. And what ends up taking place is Jesus says to them, 
let down your nets on the right-hand side. And they do so, and as a result, the Bible tells us that when they had done this, although there were so many fish, John 21, verse 11, the net was not broken. There's so many fish, but the net was not broken. Now, the first time, the net is broken. The second time, three and a half years later, the net is not broken. They caught 153 large fish is what it says. Why does God care if it was 150 or 153? Who cares? The point is this. The number 153 in that day represented how many different ethnic groups or nations there was on the earth. If you don't believe, Google St. Jerome, 153 fish. You'll see that. And it says that it represented all the nations of the earth. So now he's saying, I'm going to send you guys out to fish for all the people in the world who desperately need to know who I am. And guys, in the beginning, you weren't ready. You weren't prepared. You, you didn't have the capacity to do what I've called you to do, what I've created you to do. So for the next three years... God works in their lives, in a sense, strengthening the nets. So when they came to this day, when they would cast out their nets again, so to speak, the nets would not break. God wants to mend you so he can send you. God wants to repair you of your woundedness so he can prepare you for effectiveness. God wants to mend you of your misery, so he can move you into your destiny. But a lot of us will never be able to fulfill our destiny because there's these areas of brokenness in our lives. There's this stuff, it's sin, it's bondage, it's addictions, it's, it's hurt, it's unforgiveness, it's bitterness, it's, it's mindsets that are toxic, and, and all of the things that happen to us in life. I could go on and, and, and enumerate more of these things, but ultimately the point is this, is that God wants to bring healing to your life, and God wants to prepare you, because what is he doing? He's saying, go out into the deep so they had to go out into the deep. What does that mean? It means if you want to come out to a place where God says, put your net on the right-hand side. The right-hand side speaks of authority. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It speaks of authority. It speaks of a place where you're powerful. It speaks of a place where you're whole, where you're living out your destiny and, and you're filled with the authority and, and the power of God. If you want to move into that place, then you have to go deep. First, you can't be shallow. You've got to go deep with God. And when you go deep with God, he will prepare you. He'll heal you. He'll change you. He'll make you a new person. And it is both a, a crisis in the sense that it's a, something, a panacea, which means it's a quick thing, but it's also a process. As I said, we are masterpieces, God's masterpiece, but we are also a work in progress. And God says, look, if you will commit yourself to the process, if you will commit yourself, like he said to the disciples, and follow me for three plus years, he said, and, and do the things that I tell you and allow me to speak into your life and allow me to challenge you and, and allow me to heal you and allow me to empower you, then I will prepare you for a life of great effectiveness you will begin 
to live out your divine design, your purpose. God has a unique plan and a purpose for your life. It's not so you be depressed. It's not so you sit around in pain. It's not so you just sit around and you're like, what am I supposed to do? I don't have any friends. I don't have a sense of direction. It's none of that. God has an exciting life for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, we know it. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. That's what God says. I have an amazing plan for your life. So as we study the Gospels, we see Jesus systematically preparing his, his disciples to live out their divine purpose, their destiny. He deals with their hearts. He stretches their faith. He challenges their character. His authority is invested in them so they could heal the sick, drive out demons. Jesus teaches his disciples that the way to a life of power is through prayer and humility. The greatest in the kingdom is the most humble, the one who will serve others and love others. He spends this time teaching these guys. I mean, we're talking about deconstructing some mindsets, some, some ways of thinking, pulverizing some paradigms, some false worldly ways of thinking that, you know, this is who I need to be. If I'm going to be powerful, i got to step on this person. i got to watch out for myself. I need to do this or I need to do that. And, look, I understand some of the things that we need to do, we need to take care of ourselves. But I get this, that ultimately it's about serving people. It's about loving people. It's about helping people get free. It's about helping people discover their destiny. This church is not, and our ministry and our calling, and I've learned this a long time ago, is not to get enough people to show up here so we can fill, you know, ministry slots and you can help collect the offering or, you know, or teach kids or whatever. We need, that's important. That's, that's part of serving other people. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is that we can come behind you. We can stand beside you. And as it says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we can equip you to do the works of ministry, to do what God has called you to do, to do the very things that he's created you to do, to discover your divine destiny. God has a purpose. He has an identity for you. Your ID, your identity, and your destiny is what will bring you fulfillment in life, which will cause you to have significance when you really tap into that. And you'll never know it until you come to the place where you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because the Bible says that God created you in his image and likeness. And the Bible says that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image and likeness of his son, Romans 8, 29, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does that mean? God has a plan and a purpose, and he wants you to become like his son, Jesus Christ. He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk with him. There's gifts. There's a calling. There's a destiny. There's a purpose for your life. And it's not necessarily about the things of this world per se, but he certainly will use you in this world for his glory. But ultimately, there's a divine purpose for your life. It's to know his son and to live in a place of fellowship with God, and then out of that place of intimacy and true knowledge of God to begin to live out your destiny, to find out how God has created you. What gifts has he given you? What purpose does he have for your life? I'm living the dream. Can I say that? I'm not not a multimillionaire if you guys haven't figured that out yet, but I'm living the dream. What does that mean? 
I am in my lane. I am in my sweet spot. Why am I in my sweet spot? Because I'm doing what God created me to do. I'm living out what God created me to do. He said, Glenn, I've called you to preach the gospel to the nations. Glenn, I've called you to teach people. Glenn, I've called you to lift up the weary and those who are struggling. I've called you to heal, to deliver, to set free. That's what I was created to do. And I can tell you there's no greater fulfillment for me. And I've done a lot of things in life. And I've been around a lot of successful people. But there's nothing that gives me greater joy than being able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. We don't need a more relevant, culturally relevant church in the sense that the church changes the message. It's all right. We don't have to wear ties and suits. We don't have to, you know, it's okay if you want to wear a tie and suit. I'm not dissing you in any way. I'm just saying we don't have to do that. We're not... It's not about that stuff. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's about knowing who we are. It's about living out our purpose and our identity, and you'll never have that until you step into that place of knowing God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's stand together, please. Just ask you to bow your heads for a moment, please. We're going to pray together. As I mentioned, the Bible is very clear that we are God's workmanship. You know, I love that scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. It's actually verses 8 through 10. It says, For it is by free grace... God's unmerited favor that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. This salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God, not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. And listen to this. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship. As I said, that word means his masterpiece, his, his poetry. We are born anew in Christ that we may do those good works which God planned beforehand for us to walk in. Taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. Listen to this. Living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. You know, the Bible says the way of the sinner is hard. The Bible says there is no peace for the wicked. What does that mean? It means when you're living for yourself, when you're living selfishly, when Jesus isn't the center of your life, when Jesus isn't truly your Lord, when you have something on the throne, when you are putting yourself ahead of God, then you're not going to know this peace. You're not going to know this joy. You're not going to know forgiveness and all of the benefits of your salvation. And when you come to that place where you're, I'm going to humble myself. 
I'm going to humble myself. You don't know, guys. Some of you, you don't know what's, what's gonna, life's going to be like. If you were to go into the future a year, you might think, man, life is very different than what it is today for you. We don't know what the future is going to look like, whether there are going to be challenges, difficulties, even if we're going to be here. Come on. We don't know. But today is the day of salvation is what the Bible says. Today is the day. Coda has a new way to pay. Now you can use the Transit mobile app to plan, track, and pay for your Coda ride. For a limited time, everyone who creates a Coda account in the Transit app will get a $4.50 credit. What are you waiting for? Download the Transit app today.